Hi, my name is Jamie Forbes, and welcome to the Learning Courage podcast series. We're here today with Dr. Katherine Steiner-Adair and with my colleague, Amy Wheeler, who is the Vice President of Membership at Learning Courage. We're going to talk about the impact of COVID on the mental health of students, specifically on the increasing dependence that students felt towards their technology. Learning Courage is a nonprofit membership organization working with K-12 schools to help them reduce incidents of sexual misconduct and abuse and respond appropriately when incidents do occur. These podcasts are designed to give you a window into topics related to sexuality, power, and abuse. And we are really excited to welcome our guest today, Amy. Can you please introduce Catherine? I would love to do that, Jamie. Thank you. For the past 25 plus years, Catherine's work as a clinical psychologist, researcher, author, and consultant has converged on one fundamental mission, ensuring that today's students, our children, have not just the technological tools they need as they inherit the AI future, but the tools of our humanity, the empathy, ethics, social and emotional intelligence, and DEI competencies they need to survive and thrive in our ever-changing interconnected world. After 35 years at Harvard Medical School and Ed School, Catherine currently speaks at schools and conferences worldwide, working with students of all ages, educators, and strengthening school culture. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much. And Catherine, you've also written an amazing book that's called The Big Disconnect, Protecting Childhood and Family Relationships in the Digital Age, which the Wall Street Journal nominated as the best nonfiction book of 2013. So congratulations on that. And as her bio suggests, Catherine is just uh, an amazing resource for uh, understanding what teens are confronting these days in the digital age and also works with uh, as a speaker and works with schools really throughout the world to help them understand how to work with um, and support support kids. So we're really thrilled to have you here with us today. Our topic today is really more specific to, well, it's specific to the digital age for sure. And we are recording this August of 2021. Here we are uh, as COVID, we had hoped previously, was on its way out. And however, we're having a resurgence with the Delta variant. And one of the things we want to really talk about is how COVID has impacted students in their social emotional learning. And also, given the fact that the school year is about to start, we want to talk about and hear from Catherine some of her observations and discuss ways that schools can be can be preparing to welcome students back so that they are or they feel safe and they are ready to learn. So again, welcome Catherine. We're really excited to have this conversation with you. Thanks. You know, your first question about, you know, what what are we expecting to see in our returning students and our new students, mental health and well-being is such a, a challenging question because there's such range. And I think we don't hear very much about the kids who are actually just doing fine. In my take on things, which of course is just my take, about a third of kids are are really 
you know, they weathered the storm. They discovered they're more resilient than they thought. They found ways to use technology that was, you know, fabulous. They did deep dives into the things they were curious about. These are our students who are intrinsically motivated. These are our kids who, who really have a lot of confidence, self-confidence. They are resilient. Um, they come from all backgrounds, uh, all colors, all orientations. They are they are the kids who are flexible and adaptive and really can step up to challenges. At the other end of kids who are more challenged are the kids who are also wonderful students and great people who show up already with um, some kind of, of diagnosis of anxiety or social anxiety or OCD, separation, depression, um, high-functioning kids on the spectrum. And for those kids, for many of those kids, the pandemic really was challenging. We saw that, first of all, kids who had separation anxiety, they loved being at home and they had a very hard time separating. They were fearful. The OCD kids were really fearful. They didn't want to touch somebody else's desk. They had, you know, all their germ phobias, et cetera, were accelerated, which of course is understandable given their wiring, but we have to really help them um, use the sort of DBT and, and CBT tools to calm themselves down. And we saw a more impulsivity for kids with ADD, ADHD. And across the board, one of the biggest challenges that many students had was separating from their smartphones. And, you know, you can do most of the things on a computer that you can on a smartphone, but kids just got so used to the stimulation, the neurological stimulant of having two or three pings to their brain all day long because they were on three, two or three different devices at the same time. And they also really cleave to their smartphone as their social life right. and their connection to their parents and their connection to their doctors, whoever else is important. So, you know, we developed a huge psychological dependency especially on phones during the pandemic. And a lot of kids had a hard time just putting them down, putting them aside. So schools had to readjust. Catherine, what I heard you say is that students have really had uh, been forced to have this technology overload during COVID and that they, and that schools need to both recognize that and, and give them breaks. Uh, give them ways that feel comfortable and safe to take a break and actually have more tangible, meaningful interactions? You know, I think everybody is going to need to retrain their brain to not be on screens for extended periods of time. And schools have the capacity to do that in a way that's much harder at home. I am a huge fan of having cafeterias be either completely device-free or if you have, you know, dividing your cafeteria up in half. So when kids sit in one end, they know that they're just there to talk and no one's going to pick up their phone and disappear into a conversation with someone who's not even physically present, which is such a turnoff. I think times with the school gathers in chapel or the auditorium, those should absolutely be no devices at all. One of the things we need to remember is that children actually need help now learning how to separate physically from technology. So the more you can structure hours in a day where they do not have certainly their smartphone along with the computer, 
it's really beneficial to them neurologically. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that kids have extended hours in the day also where they're just doing reflective writing, conversation, that they are having screen-free classes and screen-free altogether time. And this is something that is now beginning to get more attention. And, you know, more and more schools are saying, you know, unless you're told in advance you need it for class, iPhones stay in your dorm room, in your locker during the school day. Because we know that even just having your phone on your desk or in your backpack or on the floor next to you while you're on a screen or in a class is distracting. And I guess I would piggyback on that to our earlier point is, and I guess I'm going to continue this, this thread, which is the adults struggle with this as well. And so how we model the behavior in schools, adult behavior in schools is really critical. So when you're in an auditorium and the teachers pull out their phones because they don't have the same rule, that's a problem. So, so how do we create a whole community culture that allows people to disconnect? And I think it's critical that heads of school and administrators think about the adults and the tone the adults are setting as well, because if only the students do it, then there's a double standard and it doesn't actually affect the culture. Right. They're modeling that behavior. You know, the, the thing, another conversation I love to encourage heads to have with their faculty is what norms do we want for faculty meetings? Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing more frustrating than standing up and, you know, sharing an important experience you had or a lesson you taught and looking out and seeing your colleagues paying no attention whatsoever. Right. Right. They're doing email, which is a problem. Email is a problem. I mean, we need to restrict email. That's a whole other conversation. But anyhow. <laughs> um, But I think it's really valuable. One of the things that schools really need to think about is making meetings meaningful. Schools tend to have a lot of meetings that faculty do not feel are efficient uses of their time. And they often don't evaluate. They don't ask for feedback enough. You know, how is this departmental meeting for you? Just a quick monkey survey. What could we do to improve it? There's so, mm-hmm. The more you involve your, your faculty in evaluating how their time is spent and how much of it is screen-free or the or positive use of screens, the more buy-in you get to people actually coming into a room, making eye contact and putting their devices away when that's clearly a shared agreement. So, Catherine, this is, a, I think, a really important topic and, and certainly one of the things we want to do a deeper dive on. This is in the context, of course, of the generation that has grown up with phones. So, so we're, what I hear you saying is that even given the fact that these, these kids are used to phones and used to living on their phones that during the COVID era and certainly in school, that was even more magnified and that has had even more of an impact on them. And I'd love to hear, you know, your perspective on what that means and what that has meant from a mental health perspective and also what schools can do to, to help students as, as they prepare to welcome them back. Well, I think we really have to rethink. I mean, we've been talking about this for years. Denise Pope, you know, doing school challenge success, how we do school. And particularly now coming back after the pandemic, I think, first of all, schools have to really uplift connection and building relationships and building emotional safety. 
and prioritize it over, you know, study skills, assessments, etc. And I think the other, and the way you do that is to create engaging situations that are not evaluative, that are fun, that are, um, you know, get to know you kinds of safe conversations. You know, in the olden days, kids used to have recess twice a day. And I think that our middle school kids certainly need that. And I think our high school kids do too. Some of the schools I've worked with have are going to be offering milk and cookies at mm-hmm. 11 o'clock, just a pause. And then again in the afternoon before sports, another pause. And I think, you know, most teachers learned or many teachers learned over the pandemic, the incredible value of starting your class with a SEL check-in. It takes about three minutes or five minutes just to take the emotional thermometer temperature of where your students are. But if you do that, you will increase their engagement enormously. And not only their academic engagement, but their connection to you, which, you know, the same part of the brain that freaks out and gets anxious is required for learning. So if you've got kids coming into your class and they're preoccupied either by what they just saw on their, you know, on social media or just their worries, and you don't give them the opportunity to calm down, to do some breathing, to take a mindful moment, they're just not going to be able to learn in the same way. We're going to pause for just a minute and we'll be back uh, to have more conversation with Catherine Steiner Adair. Our mission at Learning Courage is to give schools the tools and guidance they need to keep students safe from sexual misconduct and help schools respond when incidents occur. My name is Jamie Forbes, the founder of Learning Courage. I was sexually abused by a male teacher when I was a freshman in high school. My experience and what I've learned from many other survivors is why we are a survivor-centered organization. Our member schools recognize that keeping students safe requires everyone in the community. We are a survivor-centered organization because we know that caring for survivors is in the best interest of schools and individuals. Learn more about becoming a member school by visiting our website at www.learningcourage.org. Welcome back from the break. If you've just joined us, we're here with Dr. Catherine Steiner Adair, who is sharing her insight with us about what she's seeing in adolescent behavior and in particular, the impact of the COVID pandemic on the social and emotional learning and what schools can do to support students as they return to school this year. Catherine, I have a side question that I think we've got adults who are also coming off the pandemic and they need to be setting the tone for kids. And they've also been through heightened anxiety and stress. I'm curious about how you would recommend teachers do, what do you think they need to be doing to take care of themselves so that they can better serve kids? Well, let me go up a level and talk to the heads who might be listening to this because great, great, great. I think that it is critical that you check in with your faculty before at, about how they are doing before you start talking to them about checking in with kids. Authentic Connections has a wonderful survey for faculty health and well-being. And if you don't want to, you know, bring in a huge organization, a very good survey like that, you know, I've, I've worked with 
heads over the last couple of weeks to help them think about specific ways they need to, and certainly can, but I would say need to, tune in first to prioritize the mental health and well-being of their faculty. Some heads are offering mental health days for faculty as well as kids. And also helping them understand what resources are available to them, normalizing that no one's going to lose their job if you, you know, feel overwhelmed or stressed out. And the other thing that schools, many schools have done, did last year, and I think should continue to do, is they're bringing on a pool of substitute teachers. So that Mm -hmm. it's okay for a teacher to say, I just can't show up in class today without it causing ripples of, you know, inconvenience, frankly, and, and, and panic in their division heads. We really have to think about how to put the right kind of resources beneath teachers first. Right. And it's a huge difference if your teachers feel like you care about them versus it's all about the kids, it's all about the business. You know? Well, and also they can't do their jobs. I mean, their their job they can't do their jobs well. Kids pick up on the energy of adults and it's so critical that the adults take care of themselves. And I think everyone got so burned out last year that Hopefully, people did take some breaks over the summer and come back a little bit refueled, although I think people were hoping they were coming back to a different environment than they are, and yet there are things that are different this time. Right. So this is such an important point here that you know, while we're, we spend a lot of time talking about students and taking care of students, that uh, we're talking, uh, you know, it's, it's essential to take care of the entire community. Uh, right from the head all the way all the way down to the student because that that is the community and and I think you know another really important point that you mentioned Catherine is is making it okay for people to 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 not be okay or to need time and giving them the tools so that they can actually admit that they need some time I, I think every school should get a copy of the Time magazine cover. Uh, I'm blanking on her name, the Olympic athlete. Help me out. Oh, Naomi Osaka. Yes. Yes, I have that magazine in my living room. And the headline is, it's okay to not be okay. Mm. Yes. We'll we'll make sure to have a a link to that. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's uh, just a great reminder. One of the issues schools struggle with mightily, and it's very understandable. This has so much to do with the work that you are doing, which is so essential is that it's really not okay in many schools to say you're not okay. Mm-hmm. It's not even okay to say you didn't sleep well because kids are so afraid and parents are so afraid that somehow it will disadvantage them. Mm-hmm. It will stigmatize them. It will interfere with their ability to get you know into the next school or whatever the next goal in their mind is. And it really needs to become much more of a a norm and talked about and taught that, you know, X percentage of the population suffers from diagnosed anxiety and we all experience anxiety and we're living in a trauma vortex once again, which none of us expected. And schools, I think, have to do a a little more work Mm -hmm not just from a mental health perspective, but also from a social perspective, from an abuse perspective, 
from an isolation versus belonging continuum perspective. These are check-ins that we need to do throughout the year, not just at the beginning of the year, although there are very important things to do at the beginning of the year, but to really normalize that if you are feeling unsafe, disconnected, confused, uh, frightened, it is perfectly okay. In fact, we want you desperately to please talk to one of these five, 10 resources that are here for you. A couple of threads I want to pull on here. One is vulnerability and the other is safe spaces. Catherine, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what schools can do to encourage vulnerability and create safe spaces. Great question. And I'm so glad you're doing the work you're doing because it's so critical, especially at boarding schools. I think as, as any as all things in schools, working with faculty is the place to start. And making sure that everybody has the same language to speak about identities. There's a lot of confusions amongst many people. It's totally understandable. But what does transgender mean? What's the difference between gender and sexual orientation, etc.? And really help people understand the range of Um, ways young people experience themselves during these fluid years of identity development. So making, and then the school deciding, do they want to use name tags? Do they say preferred pronouns? If they don't, then what options do kids who identify as they have to be who they are um, in their community? So the level of visibility in with which you invite people and welcome students to your school begins with the level of comfort your faculty has um, with this, you know, challenging, these are challenging times for a lot of people, for religious reasons, for, um, I guess, political reasons, or just general confusion, like, I don't get this, you know, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> Folks who are very comfortable in this world, you know, have to push the pause button, realize this is very new. Right. And, and, and it's really important faculty try this on and get, make friends with sort of these different ideas um, before, you know, and are given an opportunity and also an opportunity to express their skepticism and their worries and their fears. You know, it's not that we want everybody to um, necessarily see things in the exact same way. What we want everybody to do is understand that these are who these children are and there's a Mm -hmm. range of who they are. And we as a school are absolutely responsible and dedicated to making school a safe and welcoming place for anybody who is part of our community. And it's really important to assume, never assume that everyone's comfortable talking about the, their identities or their religious challenges. And in fact, you will invariably have both students and faculty who will not reveal what they actually think. And that's their prerogative. But it's not their prerogative to silence or make it unsafe for students who do express themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's uh, what I hear you saying is there's it should be perfectly fine if if people don't want to disclose or share their own beliefs uh, or identity. But what they what's really essential is that in order to create a safe 
environment, they need to accept others' identities. Yes, that's right. And, and that becomes a question of school culture. Right. And if you're part of your, this school's culture, this is the climate we're creating. And if you're with us, you have to be with us. Thanks for joining us with Dr. Catherine Steiner Adair in today's podcast for Learning Courage. We focused on the impact of COVID on the mental health of students and what schools can do to reduce the dependence that students felt towards their technology because of remote learning. We hope it's been useful as you prepare to welcome students back into school for this year. And we encourage you to listen to part two of our conversation with her. I also want to thank my colleague here, Amy Wheeler, and a special thanks to our producer for this podcast, Elena Levin, who has been a wonderful intern for Learning Courage this summer and will continue on in her senior year at Brown University this fall. Thanks so much for listening and uh, check us out next time.